Christ Community Chapel. Really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you uh, tuning in. Welcome. Uh, I missed last weekend. I was uh, speaking at a church down in Florida. Uh, Somebody has to do it. So (laughs) I sacrificed and went down in February. But every time uh, I'm gone, I'm always reminded of how much I love you guys and love this place. So I'm really glad that you're here and really glad that you're a part. Uh, Last week, we had uh, 27 more cards turned in, the famous or infamous challenge cards. What we've been asking you to do is uh, have this card remind you that when you see a a barrier uh, that exists between you and someone else, uh, whether it's a, a difference in political stance, a difference in culture, a difference in ethnicity, a difference in race, that you would, instead of running away, you would climb over that barrier to form some kind of relationship. So 27 times last week, uh, one of you did that, which is great. Uh, And what I've heard, the stories that I've heard, and there have been great stories, is just that God has used this little card to, to open our eyes to see the opportunities that are all around us. That's all. We didn't create new opportunities. We just began to see the world a little bit different. And that's what I want. They get, you know, when my kids were little, uh, we had a family motto. And the family motto was, coffee takes stairs. That was our big thing. Coffee takes stairs. Uh, because I wanted to teach my kids when they saw an escalator that the easiest way wasn't always the best way in this life. So when there was a staircase and, a, and an escalator Beside it, I would always lead my family to the stairs, and I would say to the kids, uh, what's, what do coffees do? And they say, coffees take stairs. Right? And then they would walk up the stairs. But now, even as adults, when they come to a, an escalator where there's a staircase next to it, they are torn. Because <laughs> even if they want to take the escalator, they are drawn to the stairs because that's the way they see the world. That's what I wanted for this. I don't want this to be just a challenge that we do in the month of February. I want it to be something that changes the way we look at people. And when we see somebody who's really different than we are, instead of running away, I want us to run toward them. Because that's what Jesus did for us, and that's what Jesus does. All right, so thanks for participating in that. All right, this week is the the last week of our four-week series that we have called Christianity Famous or infamous. And it's been a challenging series. Uh, Next week, we start a new series. Uh, It's an eight-week series that'll take us all the way to Easter. We're calling it Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And I think it's going to be a great series. In fact, we developed a a book, a devotional book that will go along with the series, the eight weeks. And they're available out in the atrium. It's kind of like the, when we did the Ephesians Together series that you can use this in your community group. You can use it by yourself, but it'll help you dig deeper into the sermons that you're going to hear over the next eight weeks. So you can purchase one of those today on your way out. All right. But right now, this week, uh, we are calling this Christianity good or bad for the world? That's the question. Are we good or bad? For the world. 
Richard Dawkins, uh, who is the author of the best-selling book, The God Delusion, is a, a virulent atheist. And uh, in his acceptance speech for the Humanist of the Year Award, he said this, Faith is like smallpox. It is the greatest evil in the world and needs to be eradicated. He said that faith is so bad for this world that it should be treated like smallpox and should be completely eradicated. That's a strong statement. He feels strongly that we are not good for the world. But there are a ton of people who are driving by this building right now who look at this building and wonder if we do something for anybody other than ourselves. I mean, they're, they're driving by and they're, they're wondering if this is a group of people that are so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. And they wonder if when we gather together, we just uh, sing songs, we pray prayers, we talk about God and we go home. But out of all the religions in the world, out of all the political parties, out of all the, the special interests groups, out of all the movements, we ought to be the very best for this world. And I'll tell you why. You start with one word, the word shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word. It's used in Jewish communities to say to, for a greeting and a farewell. They say shalom. They, they bless you with shalom. And if you're going to translate that Hebrew word shalom into an English word, you would translate it into the English word peace. Peace. But the problem is that Shalom is a much more robust word than peace, than the English word peace. Because shalom means not just harmony, not just an absence of conflict. It means a, a wholeness. It means a, a flourishing, a fullness of life in every aspect of life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, where, where life is just absolutely at its fullest. Right? And this is the story of the Bible. The Bible begins with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they are experiencing shalom. They're experiencing the, the completeness. They're experiencing harmony, fullness in every aspect, spiritually, emotionally, physically. They're like, their world is like this sheet where it is perfect. There's no flaw, no mark, no tear on this. In the whole world, until sin enters the world. Once sin enters the world, then shalom is shattered. The harmony is shattered in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Let me show you what I mean. In Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve rebel against God and they sin for the first time, this is what happens. This is verses 8 through 10. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. It's the first break in Shalom happens with this spiritual break between Adam and Eve and God. And no longer do they have this, this harmony. No longer do they have the fullness of that relationship. Instead, it is shattered and broken. So the first tear happens into the shalom of the world. And we experience that. 
But then it goes on in the very next two verses where it says, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the shalom of relationship shatters there. Right? I, can't, you know, I, have, I see that in my mind's eye with Adam and Eve standing before God and they're looking up at God. And God's saying to Adam, Adam, what'd you do? Why did you do that? And Adam, instead, instead of doing anything, he goes, ah. Oh. <laughs> and he throws Eve under the bus. You know, and Eve, I, I, I can just see her looking at him going, what did you just do? Right? And that's the, the very first fight between a husband and a wife. Happened on the very first day that sin entered into the world. So relational shalom, relational peace is torn. And then it goes on to the physical world, verse 17 through 19. And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And physical pain enters into our world. And the deterioration of age enters into our world. And all the aches and pains you feel as you have gotten older started here on this very first day. And the third tear happens in the shalom of the world. So that happened in one day, one day of sin. And there are only two people in the entire world at this point. But since then, there have been many, many, many more days and many, many, many more people. And so there have been many, many, many more tears in the fabric of our world. Our world no longer looks like this. But instead, our world looks like this. And this is the world that Jesus came into. This is the world Jesus came into. What's interesting is that all throughout the Old Testament, God has been saying that he's not going to let this go forever. And God is not a God who throws anything away. That's one of the most unique things about Christianity, is that the God of the Bible doesn't throw people like you away because you have failed, or like me away because I have sinned. And God decides that it doesn't make any sense that God would, would spend time healing this, restoring this. Because if, if you had a sheet like this at home, you'd just throw it away and get a new one. And that's what it seems like God should have done, but he didn't. He makes promises all throughout the Old Testament that, that he is going to come and he wants to restore shalom in every aspect, eventually, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And then Jesus comes. And this is what's interesting. When Jesus comes in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is in jail. And he sends messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one that was promised? Or should we look for another? And this is the way Jesus responds. Verse 22, it says, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. See what John does, or what Jesus does? Jesus says, hey, go tell John this. It's already begun. It's already begun because everywhere I go, I am sowing up a tear in the world. Everywhere Jesus goes, he brings shalom. He brings fullness, healing, completeness, right? He, he comes face to face with a leper, right? And in, in just a few moments, the leper is hugging his family with his newborn skin. Jesus comes into contact with a, lep, or the, with a paralytic. And in just a few minutes, that paralytic is leaping and hopping on a moon shadow. It's a Cat Stevens throwback for those of you who are my age. He comes into contact with a prostitute, and she feels pure love, pure love for the first time since she was a little girl or maybe the first time ever. You know, we watch movies all the time where there's some villain who goes through and he leaves just a swath of destruction in his wake, right? But the world had never seen something like this. Where Jesus comes and instead of leaving a swath of destruction in his wake, he leaves a swath of shalom because everywhere Jesus goes, right, there is healing. There, is, there are tears that are sown up. There is shalom that comes. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus gathers his closest disciples. And right after he tells them that by the end of the week he'll be hanging on a cross, he says this, verse 27, peace I leave with you. Peace. Remember the, the English word? If you're going to translate shalom into an English word, you would translate it into the word peace. What Jesus says is shalom, I leave with you. My shalom I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The best the world can do when it offers peace is to give you uh, like an absence of conflict outside. But Jesus says, no, I came to heal a deep brokenness inside of you. And then Jesus goes to the cross and through his, through his crucifixion and resurrection, he unleashes a, an explosion, a reaction that the world is still feeling today. Because what happens is as people begin to believe that through his death and resurrection, he has done this healing. He has given them shalom with God. He has given them peace with God. And that deep spiritual brokenness has been healed. Then every one of those people become carriers of that shalom. And then they spread out through the Roman Empire. And in the first century, that's what happened. What happened is that Christians became known for bringing healing, for sowing up tares in their world. And so it was Christians who cared for the poor. It was Christians who picked up the babies who were left out to die. It was Christians who would run into the cities while people were running away from the plague. It was Christians that would run in to care for the sick and the dying because Christians would, would be sewing up the tares because that's what Jesus did for them. Right. So about six and a half years ago, uh, we received uh, a very generous gift here at Christ Community Chapel, and we were able to pay off all of our debt, so we don't have any debt. We haven't had any debt for the last six and a half years. That same year that we received that gift, we started these Micah 6-8 weekends. And a Micah 6-8 weekend, for those of you who don't know, Micah 6-8 is where the prophet 
says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And so what we do in a Micah 6 eight weekend, we, take, we bring a ministry to you guys to show you a ministry that is either in our community or somewhere around the world that is focusing on some tears in our world. And they're bringing shalom, they're bringing peace, they're bringing Jesus to those. And so it might be an orphanage, it might be uh, saving girls out of trafficking or whatever it is. And then what we do is we invite you to, to begin to pray for that ministry, to get involved with that ministry, and then all the giving for that weekend will go to that ministry. We don't keep a dime. And so that means in the last six and a half years, uh, we have been able to give a little over $5.4 million to ministries around the world that are sewing up the fabric of our world. And that's one of the ways that we want to be good for our world, right? Good for our community. So this is a Micah 6-8 weekend, and these are always some of my favorite weekends, right? We do these like three or four times a year. And this weekend, we're going to be focusing on a on a ministry right here in our own community, and it's called Restore Addiction Recovery. And it's an answer to the opiate epidemic that is ravaging our community, that is just tearing up our community. Ten people in Ohio will die today of a drug overdose. Ten people in Ohio will die tomorrow. Ten people in Ohio will die the next day and the next and the next and the next. Ten people a day. There are a thousand more children in foster care since 2016 because of their parents' addiction to drugs. So two years ago, we recruited Dan Gregory, who was one of our members, out of the business world, and we asked him if he would uh, try to head this up, if he would spend time researching all around the country the very best programs and figure out what we can do to try to address this problem. And then we told him he needed to be a separate entity, so they formed their own 501c3 and recruited other churches to be involved and other uh, people in the community. And now uh, we are doing a Micah 6-8 weekend uh, for Restore. And I'm going to have you uh, watch a video, because two years ago, when we first kicked this off, we did a Micah 6-8 weekend, and I had Dan up here, and uh, he was asking us to pray. And I want you to watch this video because he was asking for something, for us to pray for something in particular. And then I want you to listen closely to what Eileen Shapiro does uh, not too long after we prayed for what we prayed for. And after the video, I'm going to have Dan come up and I'm going to ask him some questions about where we are right now and then uh, what we can do to help. All right, so watch this video. So, so this is the, the hope. This area has gotten national attention uh, for being the epicenter of the heroin problem, heroin and, and uh, opiate epidemic. Wouldn't it be great if this area becomes the epicenter for healing? Tell us now what, what we can do as a church and what you see us doing. Well, first and foremost, um, we would covet your prayers. As you pray, specifically pray for 30 to 40 acres of, of sort of rural land in Summit County for free. So make sure you, you throw that in there. If you're praying, finish with the free, okay? Today I am proud to announce that we are doing even more to expand resources in Summit County for those struggling with addiction. I will be introducing legislation to County Council 
to approve deals with Restore, Restore Addiction Recovery, which is led by Dan Gregory, and Hope United, which is formerly called Breaking Barriers, which is led by Travis and Jelly Bornstein, to put the Edwin Shaw property back to use. If approved, the county will donate 25 acres of the land on the Edwin Shaw campus to these two nonprofits for their vision to create a new long-term inpatient treatment center and sober living community center. We're gearing up to put uh, Restore Recovery back up in that same site to fight our epidemic now, which is the opioid crisis. So we're thrilled. It's, it's kind of what Lakemore does. It's what we're all about, helping others, joining in the fight. So I'm very excited about Restore. The really interesting thing about this project is that the vision of it is how does design support a building for healing? One where individuals are not patients, but rather children of God, called into a life of forgiveness, sacrifice, stewardship, and community. The design concept for this building is that it is not an institution, it is a house. One of the things that really excited me about this program was the collaborative workforce development. And what that really means is these folks are working in the program from month two all the way to the end. You will not be able to understand the impact that it's had, but it has impacted almost everyone all over, especially in our building trades. And it's something that, again, we have an opportunity to fix. And we have an opportunity to start fix right here at home in our own backyard. Yeah, I hope you picked that up, right? That when uh, Dan asked us to pray, everybody laughed uh, when he said, make sure you tack on free, right? And then Eileen Shapiro in the county ends up giving 25 acres to restore, uh, to do what uh, we hope to do. All right, so, yeah, very cool. Thanks. All right, Dan, you spent two years looking at some of the best programs around, and let me start with this. Um, there's been a lot of, there are a lot of programs that exist in this area. There's a lot of people uh, who've thrown money, or government has thrown money at it. Uh, what is it about the things that are available that aren't working, and why, or how will Restore be different? Well, when we started off with this, we, we had a blank sheet of paper, and the, really the only, there was only two things on it. One was Christ-centered. So as we talked to people, we wanted their answers to be able to fit into a Christ-centered approach. And the, the other one really was, how do you take a person who is struggling with a lifelong addiction and move them towards healing and recovery? Um, and we've, a lot of the answers were around, well, the services are disconnected. You go one place for this and somewhere else for that. And sometimes there's time lapses between those different services. And we lose people between all these handoffs, which, which makes sense. So as we developed the design elements for Restore, one of them was a full continuum of care in one location where somebody could come to Restore and everything they needed was there in that in that environment. So think of it like a high school. I mean, everybody goes to high school, but you take different courses depending on what your needs are. So it's, it's a fully integrated services of connected care, but it's all under the guidance of a licensed Christian counselor. So that would be like the guidance counselor. 
So the first day you're there, you spend an hour with a Christian counselor that understands your needs, understands your addiction, and really develops a game plan to move you all the way through. And probably your last day, you'll spend with that same counselor. So part of what, you know, what I talked about with Shalom, right, was that uh, Shalom is uh, wholeness spiritually, emotionally, physically. And all those things are addressed. Like it, uh, in a normal program, they might address the physical addiction, but not the spiritual brokenness. And then somebody might address those two things, but right. not, ex- not address the emotional mm-hmm. brokenness. Um, and the idea of having them all together is that there's, uh, it takes a long time, right, yes. to heal from heroin addiction to being ready to go out on your own. Yes. Right? Um, so let me ask you, uh, uh, let's see, tell me what the, about the price of the program, because sometimes it's cost prohibitive, right, right to get right. into a program like this. It's a year-long program. It's residential. They'll have counselors there. They'll have people there that will help them. How do we afford this? So as we looked at those design elements, um, one of the ones, as I talked about, was we need that full continuum of care. The other one, and there's just a lot of agreement on this, you need a 12-month residential program. It needs to be 12 months because there's that much work to do. But within that 12-month residential program, we identified four key objectives. When somebody comes in the program, what do they need to do to graduate from the program? Number one was we need to help them understand their relationship with God, self, and others. The second one was they need to be able to develop vocational skills in real-life jobs and, and making that element work. Part of that was the idea of a collaborative workforce development, where we're going to work with local businesses that have real jobs to fill, and we're going to pair up men that want to work with people that want um, people to help them. And in that process, under the supervision of Restore, they're going to be able to recoup 60 to 70% of the operating costs. So imagine a program that costs nothing to enter other than a willingness to change, where the men in the program will get $1,000 when they leave, a toolbox full of resources as to how to live a productive life. And in that process, they've earned money that goes back to Restore, which covers 60 to 70% of the operating costs. There's simply no other program like that. So, all right, let me get this straight. So they come in, and it doesn't cost any. So somebody calls me, and they say, I have somebody who's addicted. Uh, what can we do? And I say, send them to Restore. Yeah. They go in for free. Mm-hmm. They end up getting a job, and we already have some companies lined up who say, yes. we, we want to help with this. Uh, they get a job. They work that job. Their paycheck basically goes to their recovery. Yes. Right? And then they also are learning a trade, and they will many times have a job waiting for them when they get out because they've proven themselves over the last six or eight months. Exactly, yes. Very cool. All right. Now, um, tell me uh, the whole spiritual part of it. Why is Jesus so important to this, and what have you found as you've gone around? Well, a, a few things. Number one is this, the design element of Restore is, is it's incredible. When you, if you have time after the service, we've got a video that will walk you through the building. And I got to tell you, we are so happy with the strategic advisors who have come alongside us. We don't think there's anything like it from a design element. But what makes it work is it's centered around the work of Jesus Christ. So those, those, those design elements don't work uh, by themselves, they're focused on that element. And, you know, in my, uh, my personal study, I came across Psalm 32 again, which is just a great psalm. And it says this, 
Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. All my sin and guilt is gone. And there's simply no other way to help somebody restore their lives without the work of Jesus Christ. It's not a program. It's not you. It's not me. We can't achieve this without Jesus Christ. And one of my personality flaws is I don't do anything in moderation. So whoever said, you know, everything in moderation, I'd like to meet that person. To me, if something is good, more is better. My wife can attest to that. So when I turned my life over to Christ when I was a 19-year-old kid, I put that to the test. I I mean, I, early on as I read God's Word, I said, you can, you can solve all my problems. You can, you can take away all my sin. And I took them to the deepest levels of my soul. And I think we should be able to take Christ to the deepest levels of our issues, to the deepest levels where our community is hurting, and that's where we'll see the most. And so I, that's just so important to me and so important to the element of what we're doing. And, and as you see the change in people's lives, it's centered around the work of Jesus Christ, not a program. Uh, and you and I are a lot alike where we wanted this to happen like right away, yeah. right? And it's been two years since you and we, you, and I am so grateful that you researched everything because we get to build off other people's success. Um, but you mentioned something last service about being in a hurry and what God can do. And uh, I, want to, I want you to tell them that about what you do with the, with the broiler. Oh, well, I mean, my wife's here, so I feel a little guilty saying this, but, you know, she's always trying to slow me down, and I'm always, and nothing's ever hot enough, cold enough, fast enough for me. And so, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a button on your oven. It's called broil. And if you push that, you can make nachos in under three minutes. And I broil everything now, and, and so I guess from my perspective, the way I look at this is that um, what we're creating here is an environment where I, in, I know in my own life, I need to Jesus to push the broil button. So it, to me, it's all about broiling. Now, uh, tell us what we can do now. Um, really, what you can do is continue to pray. I mean, prayer is so important to us, and we need that. Wait, before that, tell us wh uh, where we are, right? Okay, where we're, we're about to okay, so break ground. We want to break ground in April, so the team is move moving aggressively towards that. So we're in that permit stage, sort of the unfun planning of, like, how does the water get up there and electricity? So thank goodness there's a lot of smart people working on that uh, with us. So we're in that phase right now. If everything goes smoothly, we want to be able to begin helping people and open the facility in December of this year. So please pray that we can get to that point. And in December, how many beds? 75 beds. 75 people. All right. Now, tell us what we can do. Um, continue to pray. For those of you who want to get involved, if you go to our website, RestoreAddictionRecovery.com. There's a place that you can just sign up. Be really specific and tell us what you want to do and how you want to help. And as we begin to get to that point where we'll need mentors and drivers and counselors and nurses and people to help with all the other attributes of Restore, we would love for you to be able to plug in. Right. We always want to do uh, with three things with uh, Micah 6-8 Weekend, give you an opportunity to pray or to give or to go or any of the combination of the three. So uh, we're going to show you a slide here. If you want to be uh, somebody who prays for Restore, you can text in with your smartphone, 797979, and then you'll be tagged with prayer requests for uh, the Restore ministry. 
If you want to give, you can give through the app. You can give when the offering plate comes by, and all the, the giving this weekend will go towards Restore Addiction Recovery. And if you want to participate, get on the website, because what Dan said is right. Uh, in December, we're going to need a bunch of people, and I know there are other churches that are involved, but I would love for us to be uh, some of the first ones in that door waiting for these men to come in so that we can help in their healing. All right? All right, I'm going to uh, pray, and we're going to take an offering now. And when we do, we're going to be watching a video uh, of a young man named John who came from Refuge uh, Ministry down in Columbus, which we have been in contact with, and they have helped a ton with us. And we wanted to show you his video because we wanted you to see what we hope will be the story of hundreds and hundreds of people uh, right here in our community that will go through Restore. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, and uh, I am so grateful that you are a one who does not throw people away, that you did not throw us away, that you did not throw me away. I'm grateful that you have provided us a way to have peace with God. Shalom. And I pray that you would make us carriers of that peace, that we will be good for this world. And I pray that Restore would be uh, such a place where people who come in, they're broken, will go out there whole, flourishing, uh, ready to do what you want them to do, to be what you want them to be. So we commit this place to you, and we thank you for the opportunity to be a part. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen. My name's John Lucas. I lived most of my life here in Ohio. I grew up in upstate New York, and uh, I was raised by a Christian family, so I had a really good upbringing. Um, I knew right from wrong. Uh, but my issues with addiction uh, started to become evident in high school. I can trace it all the way back to when I was a sophomore. I had received an injury and in, uh, track and what that led to was me being prescribed opiates. And uh, I'll never forget the first time I, I accidentally got high off opiates. It was like my eyes were opened. All of a sudden I could focus. You know, I was one of those kids who really struggled with um, paying attention, um, staying focused. And what this seemed to do is it took away all my social anxiety, it helped me focus. And I really felt like, wow, this is how I should feel all the time. And uh, from that moment forward, drugs became a pivotal part of my life. As this issue began to bloom, it went from prescription painkillers to full-blown heroin because it was cheaper, it was more affordable, and it was everywhere. And it was at that point that my life just started to spiral out of control. And I remember one particular day waking up in a, a puddle of my own puke, looking around and seeing syringes and just wondering how did I get to this point in my life. And. Um, at that point, um, I thought I was completely broken, but I was not yet ready. And it took about another two or three years of falling on my face, getting clean with sheer willpower, and then relapsing all over again. But what I started to realize um, was there was no, no answer within myself that could have saved me or broken uh, these chains of addiction. And I'm terrified because at this point, I realize I'm the issue and I don't have the tools to fix this. So when I came into the ministry, a coordinator by the name of Michael Saba sat down in front of me and uh, he told me, John, you are looking for something in this world that the world can't offer. And uh, 
at that point, he started to impart himself to me. He said, listen, I've been where you're at. I've sat in the same chairs you are sitting in and what you're thinking right now, I also have thought those thoughts and I've had those feelings. I'm here to tell you that there is hope through Jesus Christ. I've done treatment programs, I've done outpatient and inpatient, but what I was experiencing here wasn't just a temporary altering of behavior. I started to feel authentic transformation take place on the inside of me. But in the safe confides of this ministry, I was able to face these internal battles that I've had my whole life that I was just masking with drugs. And for the first time in my life, I began to take pride and who I was as a man, and more importantly, who I was in Jesus Christ. And that's what it all comes back to, is Jesus Christ, and my identity being in Him. And as I started to walk as a responsible man of God, I saw all these things start to fall in place in my life. I, I was in this atmosphere of love and acceptance, and men wanting a better life, searching for their identities in Christ, and the ministry just provided those tools for us. I used to wake up with fear, desperation, pain, anxiety, absolute depression and hopelessness. Me now, I wake up every single morning before work and I am just, there's joy. I just wake up, like even this morning, I wake up with just waves of joy um, coming over me. And that's just because I have hope, something I never had before. Because I know what God's done in my life up until this point, so I know what he's gonna do with the rest of my life if I just continue to pursue him.